0: Good singing this morning. I want to welcome you uh, to our service today as well. I know others have already uh, greeted you this morning, but let me take a moment just to welcome you uh, to our worship time together this morning. If you are a first-time guest with us today, we especially welcome you, and uh, we are thankful to have you with us this morning. There's a QR code that's printed on a piece of cardboard uh, that is in front of you, small card uh, in front of you, and it looks like the one on the screen behind me, and I would ask, if you would, to be so kind to Take a moment with your smartphone, you can scan that and it'll take you to a place where you can answer a couple of questions for us. Tell us a little little bit about yourself, give us some information of how we can follow up with you and answer any questions that you may have about our church and ministry and we would just like to get to know you a little bit better. And uh, also those of you that are here for the first time today, as was mentioned in our announcement time beginning of each year we do a care group meal and this year we're actually doing it differently we've broken the church down into four separate meals and today is the fourth one the final one of our deacon care group meals and if you are a first-time guest with us today and uh, you don't have plans for lunch we would like to invite you to join us in the fellowship hall it's just off to my left and anybody after the service can direct you to that place and uh, don't be ashamed you come on over don't be afraid we won't Require anything of you, we won't ask you to sing, we won't ask you to do anything. okay? Uh, just come over and eat with us, and we would love to get to know you personally. We have plenty of food, and so please come on over after the service today. I do want to mention uh, just very briefly about uh, the situation in Ukraine. We have uh, made this opportunity available um, to those that are looking for a way that you would like to get resources uh, to those folks that have been displaced by what is taking place in Ukraine. And uh, I know I have a personal friend who is uh, in Ukraine at the moment <clears throat> and trying to get out of the country. Last I heard from him, um, he was still there. He is not, he is not Ukrainian, by the way, um, but he is trying to uh, get out of the country. Um, but we do have friends uh, of the ministry, missionaries of ours, that are on the ground in the neighboring nations around Ukraine that are taking in um, orphans in particular and uh, we have been trying to raise money to help those that are taking in the orphans. We were asking uh, for $125 for, for a uh, mattress that will house, help give these uh, kids a place to rest, and place to sleep. And so, if you are able and willing to help, we would love to be able to uh, get this money to them. You can just give online. You can go under the missions button and just designate uh, Ukraine, and actually text Margaret um, in the church office to let us know that that is coming. Or you can give it through the envelope system. Just mark Ukraine, and we will make sure that it gets to those kids. If, uh, as they are moving forward, I have not talked to uh, the folks personally this week uh, in the last couple of days about what is happening on the ground. They've sent me some videos of the number of people that are that are coming through their area. Um, but I don't know of any specific needs uh, that have changed, but I will certainly let you know um, as you are uh, asking the Lord what you may be able to do to help uh, those people that are in just in a very horrible situation. And so we certainly need to pray for that part of the world as well. I would invite you, if you would, to take your Bible and go to 2 Samuel 5. Uh, we have been studying through... The life of David. We've been picking it back up after the holidays and some different things to so the month of January. We are resuming our study of the life of David, and uh, we are looking now at his time as he becomes king and uh, what is going to take place in his life. While you're finding a uh, second, I think I might have said First Samuel, but it's Second Samuel 5. Uh, while you are <clears throat> finding that place, just think with me for a moment. Uh, we live in an instant world, don't we? We live in a world of immediacy. In fact, some people have said, I've heard it said before, that instant gratification takes too long. We live in a country, a world today that we can watch unfold before our eyes the horrors of war that is taking place in Ukraine. We can see it live as it is happening. And because of our instant world, we have become accustomed to getting what we want, when we want it, and exactly how we want it to be. I've heard this statement before, but it's been on my mind tremendously as I've been studying through the life of David again, and that is the statement that it takes 10 to 15 years to be an overnight success. But see, we only see the trophy presentation. Maybe if you're like me, you like sports, you like athletics, and you see someone standing there, they've won the championship, they have the trophy, and we see... On the news, we hear podcasters say, wow, they are such an overnight success. And yet the reality is we don't see the hours upon hours of investment of time and energy and sacrifice that it gets that it takes to get to the place where that person has achieved what we would say worldly success. You see, very often we live life like we're children on a playground. I remember when I was a kid, I don't know if this is still popular today, but when I was a kid, the very popular game to play on the playground at school was King of the Hill, or King of the Seesaw, or King of whatever somebody was standing on, and the goal was to knock them over and get them on the ground. And the way that we see the world today is we want to be King of the Hill, and we want to get there instantly, and we want to get there painlessly, and once we are there, we never want to face any kind of adversity. That is why the life of David, to me, especially the chapters leading up to him becoming king, are so essential to us to understand David as a person, as a human being, as a, as a king. In fact, we find now in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 1, we arrive at the moment... That David has been longing for for so long. In fact, it had been promised to him so many years before. And now we find in Second Samuel 5, verse 1, "...that all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, "'Behold, we are bone and flesh.'" In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So, all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed King David king over Israel." David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. At Hebron, remember that is the capital in Judah, he was king in Hebron over Judah to the south. He reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And at Jerusalem, he reigned over all of Israel, king over the unified nation of Israel and Judah 33 years. David has finally become king, as God promised. Let's study this text together in just a moment, but pray with me before we look at it. Father, we thank you again for this morning, the opportunity that we have had to sing together, uh, the opportunity to hear truth sung, and reminding us of who you are, and of your love for us, and our love for you. And God, we pray that as we look into your scripture today, that we would be reminded of your character, reminded of who you are, and that our responsibility before you, what have you called us to do? What is it that we are to do while we are living in this world? And so, God, I pray that this would, this this message, this effort to to explain your word would be a help to us, help us grow and to mature, and I pray that you'd have your blessing now in our time together, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You could say it this way, whatever whatever you may do in life, whatever is worth doing, there are certain characteristics that must be true about us. Leadership, and by the way, when I say leadership, I'm not saying leadership over an organization or over a business or over a ministry, just leadership in general. To some degree, all of us are leaders. Leadership at any level is intentional influence. No matter what you lead, a business, a home, a ministry, a club, or leading yourself, in a sense, there are certain qualities that we must develop. And being equipped for life and leadership is something that is essential to all of us and so as we look now at these opening five verses of this chapter let's take a look at David and how he was prepared to become king and today we are primarily going to look at David's character and what it was that set David apart from all of the other kings in the in the history of Israel now when we come to chapter 1 it tells us that all of the tribes of Israel came to David this is following the crazy events that happened in chapter three and in chapter four, where you had people, Ishbosheth, the previous king over Israel, being murdered in his bed. We had Joab uh, murdering um, Abner in, 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 the, in the previous context as well. So, after all of these events have happened, after the dust has settled, we don't know exactly how long it took, but after Some period of time, we open chapter 5, and we see all of the tribes now of Israel that are coming to David at Hebron. This is his capital in the southern part of the nation in Judah, and he is now going to become king over a unified nation. Now, let's just kind of remind ourselves that the house of Saul, Ishbosheth has been murdered. He is dead. Mephibosheth has been mentioned. He'll come up later in the story of David. He is physically unable to rule. And so the path now has been cleared for verse 1 to become a reality. David is finally going to be named as king over all of Israel. Now stop for a second how has the road been in david's life for him to reach this point in his history it's been smooth sailing hasn't it when david was called out of the field that day his father by the way didn't even think to call him into the house when when samuel came to anoint the pending king of Israel and that it was David, this young shepherd boy who was out in the fields tending sheep and this was the man that God's anointing was going to fall upon him and he is He is pointed out and singled out as the man who would have a heart after God, that he would be king of all of Israel. And now after war, after battles, after bloodshed, after trials, after people trying, the king in particular saw himself trying to take his life, David is finally crowned king. It's been a difficult road. And when this delegation is sent to Hebron to anoint David once again as the king over David, or over Israel rather, I want you to notice what the people of Israel say to him. What is it that this delegation says to David? Well, as they begin speaking at the end of verse 1, they say, behold, you are bone, we are bone and flesh. In other words, you are by lineage, you are an Israelite. You were born an Israelite. There is recognition of David's kinship, particularly because of who he was. He was a fellow Israelite. Now, remembering all the way back in Deuteronomy when Moses is pending the law and the law is being given in Deuteronomy 17, 15, we find these words, "'You may indeed set up a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose.'" One from among your brothers, you shall set a king over you. You may not put a foreign king over you who is not your brother. So this was, going back to the Mosaic law, this was a requirement for the king to be someone who was an Israelite. Now, let's stop there for a moment and ask this question. When it comes to the life of David, was this a decision that David made in his life? Did David decide that he would be born an Israelite? The answer, as some are shaking their head, no, of course not. I didn't choose to be born in Milford, Delaware. Probably three people in the room actually know where that is. I didn't choose that. This was a picture of God's sovereignty when he was calling David, which we'll get to in a moment, and David now is born an Israelite that qualifies him to be a king over the nation of Israel. And the elders rightly, correctly acknowledge that because David was one of them, he was They were flesh and bone together, that he was qualified to be their king. Now, in verse 2, we find another reason that the elders of Israel are going to acknowledge him as their king. By the way, there I mean Israel as in the northern part of the nation. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. They recognized David's abilities. They recognized the fact that he was a capable leader throughout the generation and throughout the time leading up to his becoming king. He had shown himself to be a shepherd. He had shown himself to be a leader. He had shown himself to be a compelling and successful military leader. Now we stop there and ask this question where did David's abilities come from? Where did David get the ability to be a military man? Where did he get the capability? to be a caring and loving shepherd? Well, I think we would have to argue once again that these abilities that were given to David were a part of God's sovereign plan for David's life and that these gifts and abilities were bestowed upon David so that he has, by the words of the elders in times past, he had experienced success. He had been used in a very powerful way. Now, they go on, and the end of verse 2, And the Lord said to you, David, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. Israel Once again, they point back to the fact that David was the one that the Lord anointed, that the Lord chose to be the one that would become their shepherd king. Once again, this is an aspect, a development of God's sovereignty over the life of David. Now, let's think about life of the life of David for just a moment. David had shown himself as a child... As a young man to be a faithful shepherd over his father's sheep. Now, I've never been a shepherd, probably you have never been a shepherd, but when I think of imagery of being a shepherd sitting out on a hillside watching sheep, making sure they don't get into trouble, making sure that nothing comes and takes their life, I have one word that I would think of off the top of my head to describe the life of a shepherd and it would be boring, boring. The vast majority of the time, you're just sitting there waiting for something to happen, more likely praying that something doesn't happen, chasing a sheep that wanders off, and you're just sitting there carrying sheep. And yet, it is the very imagery that David in this text, he was chosen to be the shepherd of God's people, not just sheep on a hillside someplace. He was called to be a shepherd over the people of God. He was also supposed to be their king. Now, David, up until this point, he has also had the opportunity to show himself worthy of being a king, of being a leader through his leadership in Judah, through his leadership in his time, even under Saul, when Saul was king, that David has proven himself to be responsible. He has proven himself to be a wise leader. He has proven himself to be a capable man militarily. And so, when we think about David, from the loneliness of the fields as a child, to running for his life against Saul, or from Saul, and his life as being a king over Judah, that the Lord has been prepping David and preparing David to reach this point where he is finally named king. And by the way, this shepherd king that David is referred to here is a picture of the coming good Shepherd. This imagery in John ten eleven, when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, that David is a precursor, if you will, of the coming good shepherd, the king, the shepherd that would come in Christ. And David is this one years prior to that, showing us this picture of what a king and shepherd look like. Now, in verse 3, we find these words, so all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and the king made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed king over Israel. He officially becomes king, he makes a covenant with them, and he is now a man of character. He is a man who is going to be set aside for leadership. Now, let's take all of that and apply it a little bit this morning. We think about David's heritage. We think about the fact that David was born into an Israelite family. As we said in passing a moment ago, this was God's sovereignty over David's life. This is the place that David was born. This is the family to whom he was born. It was to Jesse and to his family that God placed him in that place. He was also gifted by God, as we mentioned. He was given a certain set of capabilities, of abilities, of things that he was capable of doing. He was a leader militarily. He was a leader politically. He was also a man who was called by God, a man that God sent a prophet to his home as a child to anoint him as future king over Israel. Now, I assume you have general agreement with those statements that there is a very strong element of God's sovereignty in these verses when it comes to David. By the way, God's sovereignty is equally pictured in our own lives. For instance, as I mentioned, you didn't choose to which family you were going to be born. You didn't choose when you were going to be born. You didn't choose the color of your eyes, the color of your hair. We get that. You didn't choose your abilities. There are abilities that I wish I had that I do not possess. And as I've gotten older, I realize I don't possess them by God's grace. Because had I been given those abilities, I would have destroyed myself. No question. But we also understand that there is an aspect, not only of our family heritage, there's an aspect of our capabilities, that God has a calling upon some to ministry, vocational ministry. God has a calling among other people to serve in different areas, and those come from our desires, they come from our passions, they come from our abilities. And that's not really the point of this sermon today. The point of the sermon is this. There's aspects in your life you did not choose. But my question to you is, what are you doing with the abilities that God has given you? What are you doing with this place in history where God has put you? What are you doing in the sphere of influence that you have as a purposeful, intentional leader to show people the love of Christ? What are you doing with the place that God has given you in this world? Well, as I started thinking through these opening verses, I started looking back over the course of David's life, and today, primarily focusing on the character of David and what would David do with his calling. How would David develop as a person? How would he develop as a future king? And I put down here for us today that there are six evidences of David's character that I would suggest each and every one of us need to learn in our lives if we are going to be faithful in our service to Christ. Number one, David was a man of patience. How many of you given the events of David's life, would have given up before 2 Samuel 5? How many of you, the first time, that Saul threw an arrow at your head and stapled you to the wall, would you have walked away and said, ah, man, I've had enough of this. This isn't happening fast enough. I want results now. I want to be king today. And yet David was learning patience. Biblically defined, by the way, patience could be understood this way. It is forbearance under suffering and endurance in the face of adversity. I would say David was a patient man, wouldn't you? The many difficulties that spanned over years of David between his calling and his installation as king, David showed himself time and time again to be a man of patience who was forbearing under suffering, forbearing under adversity. I also would suggest to you, as we look back over David's life up to this point, we would see that David was a man of courage. Even as a young man, I didn't read the verses for sake of time, but even as a young man, when he was out as a shepherd in the fields, watching over his father's flock that he killed a lion and he killed a bear in order to defend his father's flock from a youth, from his very young age. He was a man of courage. Biblically defined, courage is simply this, the strength of purpose that enables one to withstand fear. Did you hear that? Courage is the strength of purpose that enables one to withstand fear. And to withstand difficulty. If there is no fear, there can be no courage. Courage isn't an absolute lack of fear. Courage in the life of David and in our lives, I pray, is doing the right thing withstanding fear, not being crippled and paralyzed by our fear, not being paralyzed by difficulties, but instead emboldened through biblical-based courage. Physical courage, by the way, is based on moral courage. That if we're going to have physical courage, it is the reliance upon the presence and the power of God. By this time, David had a clear understanding of the challenges and the adversity that being a king would bring to him. It's it's a little question to me that by the time David is crowned king here in chapter 5, that he was wondering what a king was going to be like. What was it going to be like to be a king? He was going to face all kinds of problems. His, His problems are not ending. They're just beginning. And he understood this importance of courage. And in our culture today, courage is something that each and every one of us need to learn. But number three, I think we see this in David's life as we come to this point of him becoming king, we see a very real sense of perseverance. Biblically defined perseverance is the steadfast effort to follow God's commandments and do his work. I ask you again, what does it take to make you quit? What does it take to make, your, make you throw your hands up in despair and say, that's it, I'm done? David had plenty of excuses to quit. David had plenty of reasons to walk away from what? The heritage that God gave him. The abilities that God gave him. The opportunity, the calling that God gave him. David did not quit he did not walk away and say no thank you god this is way too difficult this is too hard i'm not going to continue down this road david instead was a man of perseverance steadfast effort to follow god's commandments and a steadfast commitment to david's work david possessed an earnest determination to fulfill the responsibility to which god called him to fulfill perseverance springs from confidence in God and in God's faithfulness. You know, when I think about sovereignty and I think about the perseverance of mankind, it's kind of like the reality that a bird has two wings that enables it to fly. God's sovereignty is balanced with David's responsibility to obey and to persevere and to not quit. President Ronald Reagan once said, a leader once convinced that a particular course of action is the right one must be undaunted when the going gets tough. Have you quit? Have you given in? Have you caved to the pressures of culture? Have you caved to the pressures of family? Are you just tired and worn out from being obedient? Again, I ask you, are you going to waste the place in history that God has given to you? Are you going to waste the abilities that God has given to you? Are you going to waste the sphere of influence, the calling, if you will, on your life? Are you willing to walk away? When I think about the life of David, based on his Psalms, based on things that he penned in other places in Scripture, I think it's of little question that there were moments of despair in David's life. It's not to say that he wasn't sitting in a cave from time to time wondering to himself, what am I doing? But he didn't quit. And I don't know because the text doesn't tell us exactly what was going through David's mind. That when these elders come to him at Hebron, this time it wasn't to fight. It wasn't for more bloodshed. It was finally to bring to fulfillment What God had promised David years before he was going to be king. You know why? Because he didn't quit. He persevered. Number four, David was also a man of faith. Biblically defined as a belief in or confident attitude toward God, which produces a steadfast commitment to God's will. David's faith was rooted in the evidence that he had seen throughout his life in who God was and what God had done. Think about some of the major events that have already happened in David's life. The defeat of Goliath. David, time and time again, delivered through Saul's attacks. And that in his Psalms, not only do we see these moments of of questioning and these moments of frustration, but we see profound moments in the writing of David that David had faith in God, and his faith wasn't blind. His faith was based on the evidence that he had seen of God's working in his heart, of God's working in his life. Evidence based faith reminds us that we draw spiritual truths from what we see in our life, what God has done. Our faith is built on the evidence of God's fingerprint that is written all over the world. The evidence is there for us to see, to believe, or to reject God through faith. I remember I was a science major in my undergrad studies, and I can remember being in chemistry classes and physics classes and other science classes and studying the sciences. And most of them assumed by their Worldview assumption that the world was the result of evolution. Now, I don't ever remember in my college days, I don't ever remember being asked about evolution on a test. I don't ever remember writing an essay about evolution in my years as a science major. I have no I don't remember that. I don't believe that ever happened. But there was a basic assumption that the world was a colossal mistake that happened. Billions of years ago. And I remember that the more that I studied the world, the more I saw the organization of the world, the more I saw and understood the reality of earth and where it's position against the sun and how it couldn't be any closer or we would burn up, we couldn't be any further away, we would freeze to death, and the intricacies of the human body, I just... Came to the conclusion, forgive me, but I would say it this way, theologically speaking, the idea of evolution, theological term here is baloney. There is a creator God. And that faith isn't blind. It is based on the evidence of our world. I was in a hospital room when I was 16 years old as a patient. And in Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland... And my roommate's doctor was a man by the name of Ben Carson. And Ben Carson would come into our room, not every night, but he would come by our room and he would sit and he would talk to my mom and to my roommate's mother. And I remember him saying to us one night, he said, you know, every time I open a human skull to perform brain surgery, I am reminded of the greatness of our God. There is no way that evolved by accident. And here's the reality. I'm running out of time to get into this. But you know what? Truth is beyond proof. You know that? I can say something is true, but I might not be able to take it into a laboratory and prove it to you. They can't prove evolution. They accept it by faith. I choose to say by faith that the evidence of this world points to a creator. And David had seen this creator God work again and again and again in his life. And David made decisions based by faith. And that led him to trust. It led David to the place that he had a settled hope, a settled confidence in God that he had faith in God to deliver him faith in God to keep his promises and we can trust this same truth as well as I mentioned I can't take you into a scientific laboratory and prove to you that bombing building, buildings filled with children is immoral I can't prove it to you but it's true I can't prove to you that adultery is sin, but it's true. I can't prove to you that murdering innocent people is, an, is sin. I can't take you to a laboratory, do a test, and prove it to you, but it's true. And ultimately, it's true because God said so. Finally, I leave you with this question today. As we look at David's life, it's, it's cute, it's nice, it's easy to look back and we see David's perseverance, we see his courage, we see his patience, we see his faith, we see his trust, we can see all of that and, yeah, well, that's great. Okay, but here's the most important part. David took all of those things and obeyed. It's nice to be patient. It's nice to have faith. It's nice to have perseverance. It's cute to have those things. But they're irrelevant if it doesn't lead to obedience. And David, by the way, let me give you a biblical definition of obedience. is the carrying out the word and will of God. Obedience is a positive and active response to what one hears. Faith is knowledge that matures into confidence and produces an active response to God's word. David was not willing to assume a passive position when it came to seeing his people guided and cared for. Instead, David took action. David obeyed. Here's my question for you this morning in closing. When it comes to your life, Are you obedient to what God has asked you to do? I can't choose where I was born. Can't choose my family. I can't choose the giftedness that God has given to me. I can't choose the fact that God has gifted me and given me opportunities to fulfill certain aspects of life and ministry. But what I can choose is what I'm going to do about it. What am I going to do with it? We still to this day, thousands of years later, study the life of David. Why? Because he was a perfect man? Heavens no, we'll get to that later. But he was a man who had a heart after God. He was a man that was willing to take risks. He was a man that was willing to trust In his faithful God, David was a man to act. He was a leader. He was a man who intentionally influenced and impacted the life of other people. Is that true about you? Is that true about us as a church? You see, in Scripture, we see character as a non-negotiable for every believer. And the question for us this morning is, are we going to be like David and obey? He had plenty of times to quit, plenty of opportunities to walk away, let somebody else do it. But instead, David was willing to serve God in the place and time that God placed him for his glory. Are you willing to be a man or woman that has that kind of character that kind of obedience, are you willing to emulate the life of David? Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for this text and this opportunity to share these opening verses of this chapter. God, we we live in a a crazy culture right now. The world is um, in chaos, at least from our perspective, and yet we know you are still an absolute sovereign God over this world. And Lord, you have Placed us in this place. You have placed us in this place with abilities, with backgrounds, and family histories that we have been given, so that we can serve you more faithfully. And so, God, I pray that for each and every one of us, that we would be committed to obeying you, committed to serving you, and using our gifts and abilities for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. We're going to ask come um, and lead us in a song of invitation, a song of response. You want to come here in the front and pray? You're certainly always welcome to do that. If you have questions about salvation, questions about Scripture, I'm actually going to be uh, slipping out to the lobby in just a moment. I'd be glad to talk to you about that. Or someone who brought you, they can certainly answer those questions for you as well. Pastor West,
1: Pastor asked a question in his message: What are you doing to show people the love of Christ? I'd like us to meditate on that question as we reprise this song from earlier in our service by our love let's stand as we sing by our love brothers let us come together walking in the spirit there's much to be done by our love sisters we were made for kindness we can pierce the darkness as he shines through us we will come reaching with a song of evil week, you are dismissed.